0: Hey there, hang up listeners. It is me, Josh Levine. I am not here today with a new episode of our show. Instead, I'm here with something different I think that you will really like. It's an episode of What Next? Slate's new daily news podcast. In it, the great Mary Harris sits down to talk to Rebecca Schumann about a piece of hers we ran in Slate on Monday. It's about the college gymnast Caitlin Ohashi whose floor exercise routine has gone mega viral this week. You might have seen it. Mary and Rebecca investigate why the routine went viral and explore what the difference is between elite gymnasts, the ones we know about from the Olympics, and college gymnasts, the ones who make the sport look a lot more fun. You can hear What Next every weekday morning. It comes out at 5 a.m., They deliver smart, critical analysis from right inside the Slate newsroom. It's one of my favorite new shows. I think you'll enjoy it as well. If you do like what you hear, I encourage you to subscribe to the show in its own feed. It's the best way to support the program and the journalism we do here at Slate. Thanks so much and enjoy. Hey, everyone. Just a warning here at the
1: top. This episode mentions sexual assault. It's going to happen a few times. The references go by fast. They're not graphic, but we wanted to give you a heads up. Thanks.
2: Okay, so yeah. All right. So I've got the embedded tweet. It's the second one down.
1: I called up Rebecca Schumann because I wanted to watch this video with her.
2: It's a tweet from UCLA Gymnastics that says a 10 isn't enough.
1: You've seen this tape, right? The one with the college gymnast, Caitlin Ohashi, and her phenomenal floor routine. It started making the rounds on Twitter this weekend.
2: Yeah, it's super funny. Last weekend was their opener. And I went on Twitter and I was like, who's going to watch UCLA Gymnastics? And all these people laughed at me. They were like, um, I think just you. <laughs> so it's, so I was like, all right, yeah, Okay.
1: Rebecca saw this video way before I did. She used to compete as a gymnast. Now she writes about competitive gymnastics for Slate.
2: So I saw that routine, you know, I've seen it before. I didn't see it this weekend. I saw it last weekend. Everybody who watches NCAA gymnastics did. And we'd all, we've all, it's all old hat to us. All right, so she's gearing up for her first tumbling run now.
1: In this video, Caitlin Ohashi, who is a senior at UCLA, She's doing all the regular floor routine stuff, running and flipping, but she's also dancing, accompanied by a pop and R&B soundtrack. Tina Turner, Michael Jackson. The thing that really gets me about this routine, the reason I've watched it over and over again, is Caitlyn's face.
2: It sticks her tongue out a little bit. No one ever does that, having an incredible time.
1: I wanted to watch this video with Rebecca because she sees this video pretty differently than I do. And I think she sees it pretty differently than the hundreds of thousands of people who liked and shared it online did, too. Like when we watched Caitlin's very last
2: tumbling run. So flip, 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 split jump, and then she lands in the splits. (laughs) First time she did that, Everybody thought it was a mistake. Yeah. So that's one of these things that's like only in the NCAA because it looks completely amazing, but it's really easy.
1: (laughs) It's really easy? It's really easy. What Rebecca's saying here is that there are really two kinds of gymnastics in this country. The elite kind, the kind that goes to the Olympics and wins medals, and this kind, college gymnastics. But I'm going to call it the fun kind.
2: Everybody in gymnastics can do the splits. Everybody can do the splits. The splits, you learn the splits when you're five years old. And the f- floor on a gymnastics mat actually has like 16 inches of mats and springs. And so it's like almost like a trampoline. But then there are things that people really liked about this routine that are completely common to the entire NCAA, which is. The teammates doing the choreography in the background, and everybody freaking out at the end when they did a good job, and the smiling, and the fact that everybody looks like they have ever eaten a meal. All those things are NCAA standard.
1: OK, can we talk about how weird it is, though, that like you're like smiling is unique to do- <laughs> yeah. NCAA and like looking like they've eaten is unique to do- NCAA? That's a little bit of
2: an exaggeration. Elite gymnastics has changed quite a bit. They do eat now. They look like they eat, but they d- it's true that they don't smile that much.
1: Caitlin Ohashi used to live in that world, the one where you don't eat and you don't smile. Today, we're taking a break from the shutdown and Brexit, and we're gonna talk about this video because it's at the nexus of a bunch of stories. The imploding national gymnastics program, the abuses suffered by young women gymnasts, and the price of being world-class. start by talking a little bit about who Caitlin Ohashi is. Mm-hmm. So she was actually the last person to beat Simone Biles,
2: right? Yeah, I believe so at the 2013 American Cup. She was, she was she was in the most tragic of all positions because she was the best elite in the world in the year after an Olympics. Hmm. The way that the elite world works is gymnasts age out of their peak performance so quickly. You can you you generally have your peak years for about one or two years at the most, unless you're Simone Biles, but that's a different conversation altogether. Normal human gymnasts peak for about one or two years and then either they injure out or they just grow and their um, center of gravity changes and they can't do what they used to be able to do. And so Caitlin Ohashi was at the absolute peak of her genius as an elite in 2013, which meant that there were three more years until the next Olympics, where if the Olympics had been held in 2013, she would have won. And she was a kid then, right? Like, how old was she then? Like, 15 or
1: 16. She was was this little kind of dynamo. Can you describe her as an
2: athlete? She looked like a wounded bird. Her face had this fear on it all the time. It was nothing like the confident, swaggy, awesome young woman that we see today. She looked like she would break. I mean, she talks
1: openly about the sacrifice of being an elite gymnast. She was told she was too heavy She was compared to a bird that was too fat to get off the ground. There's been
2: a lot of talk of changing the culture to emphasize health more than tininess. With Caitlin Ohashi especially, she doesn't ever name any names, but there were forces in her life that were very negative. Over and above the well-documented abuse that happened at the Karoli Ranch. There were both coaching and potentially familial forces in her life that were putting a tremendous amount of pressure on her to train through injury and possibly to undereat.
1: She published these diary entries from Mm -hmm. when she was competing as an elite gymnast. And she says stuff in these diary entries like, I'm currently experiencing some hunger pains, but if I go to sleep right now, I can sleep it away. Or I know bulimia is not healthy, but it could be the only thing to save me. And as a mom, as a human,
2: honestly, it's shocking. Yeah. I mean, she comes from a culture where until, again, very, very recently, essentially the gymnasts were starved. Hmm. I mean, now that the Corolles aren't in charge anymore, so much is coming out about you know, lots of stuff has been coming out for years in tell-all memoirs by various former elites, but as long as the U.S. program kept winning medals, it didn't really stick. And it really took the Larry Nassar scandal to blow the top off of what was really going on at the Corley Ranch for all of those years. And one of the things, among all of the other abuses, where gymnasts were routinely allegedly, you know, berated and Humiliated and made to work while injured is that they weren't fed enough. You know, you're you're talking
1: about the Coroli Ranch. I just want to take a second and sort of remind listeners who Bella Coroli was, because I yeah. have a very clear memory of him, particularly when Carrie Strug was competing in gymnastics, mm-hmm. because she did she break her foot. She injured She's her sprained, foot. She sprained it.
0: She, Carrie. But she is
3: lifting. Carrie is hurt. Oh, this could be, this could be really bad news, John. Strug either turns it off. You can do it. You can do it. You can
1: do it. And he put her back out
2: there to perform. Can you talk a little bit about that? The United States team was about to win a gold medal. And in order for them to do so, Carrie Strug had to finish. She had to land a vault on her feet. He made the decision to have her do it again. She had the adrenaline to do it again. It was, I remember, I watched that live. I was in college at the time, and I could not believe what I was seeing.
1: Bella Caroli wasn't just the coach of the U.S. gymnastics team. He and his wife ran an elite training camp, the Coroli Ranch, and top U.S. gymnasts would go there regularly to train, maybe for one week a month. And as we found out over the past two years... There were a lot of abuses at their camp.
2: You basically had to do whatever the people in charge of the camp told you to do. If they wanted you to work out even though you were injured, you did. If they wanted you to eat a certain thing, you did. And so the gymnasts report that they were broken down so much that they were especially vulnerable to somebody who was kind to them. Enter Larry Nasser. So he used this environment to groom them, essentially, by being their confidant and friend and sneaking them in treats, etc. You can
1: find video of Caitlin Ohashi back when she was training as an elite gymnast. She looks serious and sad.
4: Brand new routine for Caitlin. I know she was really excited about this routine because she said she even gets to smile a little bit in the middle.
1: (laughs) And after this performance... Caitlin decided to leave the highest levels of the sport. Collegiate gymnastics became an escape for her.
2: She was very, very injured, and she just did not think that she was going to be able to compete on the elite level well. And she was also broken. She was miserable. That's when she started eating like a human again, and that's when she hooked up with Miss Val and they started talking and then she decided she wanted to come to UCLA. And I think the reason that she chose UCLA is because Miss Val has a reputation for this joyful dancing culture.
1: Yeah, Miss Miss Val has run UCLA's gymnastics program for a long time, but she was
2: actually never a gymnast herself, right? She was a dancer, hence her hence her name. She goes by, all ballet mistresses go by Miss First Name, regardless of their age marital status or whatever. So that is her, that's the marker that she is, is and always will be a ballet mistress. Yeah, if you could just
1: sum up for me, like what What is the Miss Val experience? Like, what is it to go to UCLA?
2: UCLA is the place you want to go if you want the Miss Val experience where you're doing stratospherically different things on the floor exercise and beam. Every single practice they do is filmed. And every single trick that anybody does is wildly cheered by everybody else, always. So anytime anybody's practicing, the whole rest of the team is like, yes, get it! Great. Perfect. It's so funny because
1: Caitlin actually said college gymnastics is the reward we receive after years of abuse. It's like the opposite of that Bella Carolli sort of idea of what this sport is, which is sort of go get them, go get them, go get them, go get them, you, you, you.
2: Yeah. Well, there is a lot of camaraderie on the elite level. It's just that by the time you get into the elite level, you're one person. You don't have the people that you train with every day. You don't have a community. You're isolated. Um, It's a very isolating and lonely life because the other thing about elites is that they work out nine to 10 hours a day.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The other thing that's interesting to me is that this video went viral at this moment where USA Gymnastics is kind of piecing itself back together. And USA Gymnastics, for people who don't know, we should explain, it's basically the way that people get on the Olympic team in the United States. It was like a year ago that Larry Nassar was found guilty of this awful abuse of U.S. gymnasts. Can you explain a little bit for folks who may not be... Be paying close attention. What has changed in the last year?
2: Oh, well, the US Olympic Committee has moved to strip USA Gymnastics of its governing body status and effectively leave gymnastics in the United States without a governing body, which isn't just elite gymnastics. That's like all gymnastics, little kids, everybody. And then in response, USA Gymnastics declared Chapter 11 bankruptcy. And so that's going to halt the decertification process while they're going through Chapter 11. And it will also allow them potentially to – because they're being sued by all of Larry Nasser's survivors. And so uh, the Chapter 11 process will allow them to pay settlements to the survivors. And so USA Gymnastics is – complete, It's a rotting carcass. It's just in complete and total shambles. While at the same time, the actual gymnasts who compete on the international level for the United States are literally the best that any gymnasts have ever been. I
1: just wonder when this sort of Olympic level performance has become synonymous with this awful abuse. It's hard not to look at a video like the one of Caitlin Ohashi and say, like, why wouldn't this be? Olympic level?
2: I don't know what can be done to fix USA gymnastics. I'll tell you this though if what it needs to be fixed to the point where its athletes are no longer overburned and overworked, would potentially signal the end of the dominance of the US gymnastics program in the world.
1: Really? So you're basically saying the abuse is
2: necessary? Not the sexual abuse. I'm not a monster. But I do think that the Soviet-style centralized training and overtraining, the institution of that camp system directly correlates with the rise and dominance of the U.S. program. Whoa! (laughs) I mean, I'm not saying that I support USA Gymnastics or the semi-centralized training system. My personal view is that people's humanity is more important than gold medals. Even more so, I would like to see the entire sport from the international level down value humanity more than gold medals. I'm not sure how that is going to be accomplished or if the people who are important want that to be accomplished. But that's not to say that I don't want it to be accomplished.
1: You just don't see the way out.
2: I don't currently see the way out. I mean, I think one of the reasons that Caitlin Ohashi's routine is so incredibly magnetic is because it's not just her joy. Like, you can see that her joy is a triumph over something.
1: You really can. You really can. You can see that she's, like, seen the dark side and she's kind of walking towards the light.
2: Exactly. And so we also have to think, like, what do we get out of that? How important to us as viewers, casual or expert, is it that she has been through the darkness before she gets to the light? Like, what how complicit even is the casual viewer who thinks that this is the greatest thing that they've ever seen? Because what in her triumph has appealed to them? Rebecca,
1: thank you so much for making the time and standing close to your router.
2: <laughs> I really appreciate it. All right, I got to go back to the salt mines. All right, take care. Okay, bye. Bye.
3: Hello, everyone. It's me, the greatest president in the history of presidents. Those people at Trump Cast are at it again. They're not satisfied with just being a podcast and being highly rated. No, they're taking their show on the road. I'm advising you do not go see Trump Cast live. In, of all places, Los Angeles. A bastion of liberalism. Terrible, terrible state, California. And Los Angeles is the worst. Don't buy tickets at slate.com slash live. Don't do it.
1: We couldn't end today's show without going down one more rabbit hole the government shutdown. This week, nearly half a million government workers are reporting for duty, but they won't get a paycheck. Even more aren't going to the office at all. Meanwhile, on Capitol Hill, members are getting paid, but it doesn't seem like they're doing that much.
3: I mean, it's surreal trying to report this out, like the longest shutdown in government history, but like the most newsless shutdown in government history.
1: Jim Newell's our guy on Capitol Hill.
3: I went around today and just asked anyone, like, any progress? (laughs) There was a bipartisan group that met yesterday to sort of discuss and ask them, any progress? Not really, they said. You know, they said we had a good conversation, but they didn't come up with a plan or anything. So,
1: Yesterday, the president invited Democrats to have lunch with him in the White House. They didn't show up. Later in the afternoon, Democrats marched to Mitch McConnell's office to demand he hold a vote to open up the government. But what's the end game here? I feel like.
3: <laughs> Good it, question.
1: <laughs> it's been four weeks, and it doesn't seem like anyone here is any closer to a solution.
3: No, there's been zero progress. I think, you know, when it looked like Trump might declare the national emergency, which has. Ridiculous as that might have been, that was for some a way out because it would get locked up in courts for a while. And, you know, if if Congress can get off the hook without having to take a vote on anything, secretly they may want it. But when that uh, fell off the table, Trump said he wouldn't do it, at least now. He kicked the ball back into Congress and Congress has no idea.
1: It costs now more than Trump actually wanted for the wall, is what I read. Right. Which seems insane like
3: (laughs) I think a lot more than than the wall would have cost yeah all
1: right Jim Newell I have a feeling we're gonna do it again if not tomorrow like later in the week uh, yeah just don't
3: expect any news
1: (laughs) all right that's the show what next is hosted by me and produced by Mary Wilson and Jason DeLeon with help from Daniel Hewitt find us on Apple podcasts leave a review for us there we will see it we will love it